ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, joining us again tonight for Warwick's weekly wash-up, the WWW show, as he does every Tuesday night, is Warwick Hadfield, guru of sporting history and lore, journalist, sports writer, author, raconteur and all the rest of it. Warwick, good evening to you. Welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Philip. It's uh, wonderful to be here, as I said last week, quoting yeah. the great Keith Richards. Exactly, exactly. We Look, always there's... seem to be starting with a quote, don't we? <laughs> well, we should. We should. Uh, yes. Do we put Keith Richards in the same sort of area as uh, William Shakespeare, though? We, we started the first two with William Shakespeare, but oh, we'll go with Keith. Well, let's go with Keith. <laughs> let's go with Keith. <laughs> a quote is a quote, you see. It doesn't really... Um, because they come out of the mouths of great men doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, carry any more weight, I think. Well, I did read a good one from Keith the other day, mm. though, that said the older you, you get, the older you want to get. I like that. Yeah, yeah I like that too. <laughs> hey, there's an unusual anniversary being celebrated tonight, the 50th anniversary, in the New South Wales country town of Dubbo, a pretty small joint far west of New South Wales. But it celebrates a great victory, never to be forgotten. What is it? Well, in 1974, a bunch of bushies... Uh, came to Leichhardt Oval to play in the grand final of the Amco Cup against uh, a Sydney rugby league side, the Penrith Panthers, and they won. Uh, won. The score was 6-2. Now, in this number of these bushies, there was a bunch of farmers, as you would expect from out west in New South Wales, a timber cutter, a slaughter man, a greyhound trainer, a policeman, and uh, this uh, mob of, well, we wouldn't call them misfits because they'd proved to be otherwise. They were coached by the, the former kangaroo winger, Johnny King, one of the, the greats of rugby league from the 60s, who had just moved out. He'd just finished his uh, career with St George and he'd moved out to Dubbo. And uh, this Amco Cup uh, was a made-for-television, and you'll remember, in 1974. I, I owned a pair year. of Amco jeans years ago. <laughs> I mean, they were much coveted. Amcos. Well, it was the the name on everyone's hips was their uh, catch cry. Well, they used to market and, uh, a pe- they used to market a pair of jeans which there was a back pocket, and next to the back pocket there was a little folding pocket with a tab where you could put your comb, and it was uh, oh, it was course. regarded as very cool <laughs> indeed. In fact, when you anyway, bought the no, jeans, you got a free comb in the pocket. Gosh, your memory's better than mine. And I'm a little bit older than you. But anyway, look, uh, 1974, mm. we, we can all agree, was the last year of black and white television. And uh, a couple of entrepreneurs and AMCO had got together and had dreamed up this midweek uh, rugby league competition. And there were all the Sydney rugby league teams took part and a few regional teams. Of course, one of these was Western Division. Uh, and against all odds, they won through to the final. They beat... Manly Warringah out west in a semi-final that was drawn. Hang but, on, what, um, what was this competition again? So this was, this was not like today where there's a first-grade competition which is played by the major clubs. This was a what a, oh, no, a statewide a, a statewide competition this, was it? It sort of was. It was midweek uh, played on Wednesday nights, and it featured uh, all the teams from the Sydney Rugby League competition as it was known then. Mm. This was long before the NRL with teams from Melbourne and uh, and Brisbane and yeah from Bushy. Bush places, you know, and uh, Western Division was one of those. Oh, up there, I think there were 20 teams. So it's a bit like the FA Cup or something, is it? I mean, yeah, a bit like the everyone, FA Cup. Anyone yeah. could have a crack. Anyone could have a crack, and these uh, these fellas did. They they, they played um, Manly Warringah in the uh, semifinals. That was a drawn match 12-all, but by dint of a better percentage, they got through to the, the grand final against Penrith, and uh, they won that 6-2. It was um, Paul Dowling 
was the captain. He was the policeman from Lithgow, apparently as hard as as nails. Uh, he scored all the points, a try, a uh, goal and a field goal. And uh, in the in the end, um, the, the, the these fellas, uh, even though they you know, didn't weren't professional or train as hard, they managed to tackle, out-tackle Penrith all the way to the finish to win this. And uh, there were um, some fabulous characters. I remember this because I was living in Sydney, not very far from Leichhardt Oval, where a lot of the games were played. And I'd go down there on a Wednesday night, even though it was freezing cold, one of the coldest places on earth. And they had this wonderful character by the name of Ted Elry. Now, he was a sort of what you might call a utility. He could play in the second row, or he could play him on the wing, he could play him anywhere. And he used to come on in, in, he wouldn't start the game, he'd come on and he'd do all sorts of amazing things, scoring, including score a try. And he ended up being, he had a bald head, which used to shine in the lights at Leichhardt Oval. And he, and he ended up being dubbed TV Ted Ellery by a, some wonderful sub-editor or another on the, uh, the Daily Telegraph. And, and so it lived on. And there was also uh, in the side a guy by the name of Greg Fernley. And he came from that marvellous little village on the Midwestern Highway of Karkor, which is kept in aspect. It's almost as it was 150 years ago. And it's also famously the home of the Paralympian Kurt Fernley and also Terry Fernley, the Sydney Rugby League coach. Mm. And it's remembered for all of these things. And there's another uh, important thing that started in the MCO Cup. It was the career of the great Ray Rabbits Warren as a rugby league caller. Hitherto, he'd been a caller of the Trots and the Dogs. Uh, but he got a, his job on the sideline and... Uh, as a sideline caller, but the fellow in the central commentary position uh, over-imbibed, you might say did a Barnaby, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, had to be replaced. And that was how Ray Warren got his start as a rugby league caller. <laughs> and of course, became oh, yeah. probably the greatest rugby league caller since yeah. Frank Hyde. So, uh, That's true. so, so many things uh, to be reminiscent about. It's and having this great... Go on. Go on. I was going to say, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's, and it's a pity it, it can't continue but it's it's impossible to think that such a thing could happen these days just not, no no country rugby league team is ever going to beat a first grade team these days no not not uh, i mean of course the great uh, city versus country competition mm. that used to be part of the selection process way back in the 50s and 60s and 70s that's pretty much mm. gone now as well but uh, look at, <laughs> as you're right it's so far away from what's happening in las vegas isn't it this is the season opener this weekend, of course. That's right. When uh, when uh, the uh, NRL hope to make some gains, I guess, in the US gambling market, don't they? That's really the. I mean, they're they're well, they're living in. They're, I mean, you know, they're living in cloud cuckoo land if they think that that the Americans are going to embrace the sport. Because um, I, mean, yeah, I think if sufficient do, they'll be happy. I mean, it, it, you know, we're being asked. Yeah, you know, people are having opinions about whether it's going to be a success or not, and I think we haven't even arrived at. What's the what are the markers of success is. anyway? Whether anyone turns up? Well, I guess that's part of it. I mean, given that the same stadium was uh, sold out for the um, Super Bowl not that long ago, I mean, I, I guess there'd be a lot of free tickets being given away. I mean, I noticed that um, if you um, if you mention there's a function on it, one of the hotels uh, in the build up to it, and if you mention the word Manly or East, <laughs> you get in for free. Mm. So um, you know you can yeah, see. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not even sure what they regard as success, though. Really, I mean, you know. Well, I think what you hinted at was uh, if they get a bigger share of the gambling revenue, uh, and because it is in Las Vegas, Bright Light City, going to set my soul on fire and (laughs) ruin my hip pocket nerve. But um, yeah, so that's what uh, that's what it's all about. And they uh, failed before, so there's no reason why they couldn't fail again. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's been all sorts of um, talk about you know what's been done before in America. I mean, rugby union's well established in America. Cricket's going to be well established in America in in a few months' time because. 
United States of America and the um, West Indies are hosting the next T20 World Cup. And that's, that's quite a thing because I think the AFL will be watching that because uh, to, to host a Cricket World Cup of any sort, you need an oval rather than a rectangle. And I'm told by a very, very senior AFL person, they are watching closely, watching what mistakes the NRL might make and they'll make their move in a couple of years. And a team has already, a couple of teams have already been identified to be the first. It's, uh, you're hearing it here mm. first, GWS and Essendon could be the first <laughs> AFL teams to play for points in the United States of America. <laughs> anyway, look, there's a more important... <laughs> yeah, <there's>, anyway. <laughs> no, it's just that, I mean, there are so many dreams being burnt on this particular bonfire. Look, the, the, more importantly, the Matildas are playing at home tomorrow yep. night in Melbourne. Uh, if the well, the Matildas are basically qualified for the Olympics already because of their three 0 win against Uzbekistan in uh, uh, away in Uzbekistan. This is the return. In Tashkent, beautiful Tashkent. Where it was zero degrees. This is the return match now. Pres- yep. Presumably, I think unless the Matildas w- lose four nil or something, which they're unlikely to. That's right. Uh, the Matildas are going to the Olympics. Uh, that's that's true. Is Michelle Heyman going to the Olympics? That's another matter. Well, this is this is the story, isn't it? Uh, she's only been brought into the side as the locum tenens for the injured Sam Kerr. Now, Melissa Barbieri, who is the former Matilda, now turned ABC commentator, she's had a fair bit to say about this. And if you look back at Melissa's history, she was always a voluble person when she was playing and uh, voluble now in this role as a commentator. The last person she's had a crack at before the Australian coach, Tony Gustafsson, was the Australian Prime Minister. She said to, she called on Anthony Albanese to put his money where his mouth is and fund her sport. Anyway, she's uh, a bit down on Tony Gustafsson at the moment because uh, Michelle Heyman didn't get on to the field until the 62nd minute in that game in Tashkent. Up until then, the Australians hadn't scored a goal and didn't look like, didn't really look like scoring one. And then she came into the striker's role and uh, the, the setup seemed changed and the, the, the rest of the team seemed to know what they were doing. They had a target. She scored a goal in the 75th minute. The Australians scored two more goals and it was 3-0. So mm. that makes it, yes, very, very hard for uh, the Uzbek- uh, Uzbekistan players to get uh, past the Australians. The trouble is there's a limited planet. squad you can take to the Olympics and uh, if Michelle Heyman goes, somebody has to not go. Well, there's someone not going already by the name of Sam Kerr. Yeah. What, what's probably a little bit against Michelle Heyman is she's 35. Doesn't and, matter. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah well, uh, well, even Tony Gustafsson says that. And she retired a few years ago, and then she, because you know, she needed some space, she said to, to just think who she was. She came back and she's been scoring goals for Canberra mm. United almost at will. So even though um, Tony Gustafsson comes from the same part of the world as Hans Christian Andersen, he, he hasn't been buying into this, this fairy tale quite as much as everybody else. But Barbieri and a lot of other people really believe that Michelle Heyman should start um, in this uh, match mm. against Uzbekistan hey, at the, the uh, Dockland Stadium. A sold-out Dockland Stadium. I'm told tickets are going swiftly. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Mm. I'm sure they are. Uh, all right. Yes, we'll be right behind them. Now, speaking of the Olympics, uh, there is a softball World Cup <laughs> this weekend against Taipei. This is a funny sport, softball, isn't it? I, I mean, it's it's not baseball. It's not cricket. It's it's not even it's not allowed at the Olympics either. 
Has it ever been? It has been in once, wasn't it? Was it in once? Oh, yeah. The, the Australia came fifth at the last Olympics in that's softball. Soft, that's right. missing, out, missing out on the medals uh, yeah. for one of the few times that it's happened. Look, the, the decision was made uh, in 2021 not to have them in the 2024 Olympics, and that disappointed a lot of people in softball. Yeah. But uh, they have got this World Cup on this year, and this weekend... They've got uh, a series of matches against Chinese Taipei at uh, Rooty Hill in the western suburbs of Sydney. And I, and I have to give a shout out to this wonderful, enduring player for the, for the uh, spirit, as they're known. Great name, Claire Warwick. She's uh, the infielder, still going strong at the age of 36. Mm. And uh, there's also uh, Gabby Plain, uh, who's also uh, one of the... One of the many. See, it's quite a professional sport in America, and she plays a lot of her time with the Huskies in the right. United States. So they come home for this uh, particular series, which is, which is fabulous. And uh, you know, let's hope that by the time they get to the World Cup, they can do a little bit better than fifth than the fifth they got at the Olympics. Mm. Speaking of sporting clubs in troubles, the Melbourne Rebels. <laughs> we talked about it. We talked about this one once before, but. It's, yeah. uh, they're in big trouble, aren't they? I mean, mind you, rugby's in big trouble, but the Rebels are in particular, particular trouble. It's quite astonishing that rugby is in big trouble when it's prospering all over the world. You know, it's probably third after cricket and uh, soccer football for the most uh, people participating in the sport because it's, it truly is uh, an international sport. But here in Australia... It's too dull uh, to watch. It's, it's too dull to watch, yeah. Warren. That's the thing. I mean, you, can, you yes. watch it and, you, and you've got no idea what's going on. The only person seems to know is the referee. Who, well, who a lot of people don't agree with that either. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's true too, yeah. But anyway, the Rebels lost to the Brumbies, who are also a, a, a franchise club, whatever you like to call them, in a, with a little bit of doubt around them. But see, they came out and played particularly well, 30-3 to 3, uh, against the Rebels. So, you know, it's easy to say they're bankrupt on the field and bankrupt off it at the moment. I, I, I can't see the, the, the Rebels surviving. There was some hope that if they performed well in, in the competition, mm. the Super Rugby Pacifica competition, they might uh, get some sort of uh, extended life. But uh, to lose 30-3... to 3, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the players, I mean, they'd be disillusioned. Most of them have probably got spending more time on their CVs looking for other clubs for which to play rather than uh, concentrating at training. Mm. Why do you think the rugby's in so much trouble in Australia? I mean, my, you know, my, my view would be that people are sick of it because it's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's difficult to watch. I think that's part of it. Um, I, I, I think I've quoted this to you before. I certainly quote it to others. Uh, Ron Barassi gave a lecture at the Geelong Football Club about 20 years ago. It was called the Ron Hovey Lecture, named after the former president of the club. And uh, in it, Parassi said that Australia is probably not big enough to support four major football codes. And of course, rugby league, rugby union, soccer football, and Australian rules football. And he said it could be down to three by 2030. And in his view, the great thing for his sport, Australian rules football, to do was to mm. be one of the three that survives. Now, whether... There aren't sufficient people to support uh, rugby football as an elite sport, a high-profile sport in the way that Australian rules football, rugby league, and increasingly soccer seems to be able to do is is probably one thing. We're only still only 25 million people. Um, yeah, it's boring. Um, the Super Rugby competition, you know, when they they had South Africa in it, fraught with all sorts of problems. And of course, the Wallabies, who really are the the shop window for the game, right. can't beat time can't beat time with a stick at the moment. I mean, people will go and watch the Wallabies. People will turn out in Melbourne 
in huge force to watch the Wallabies if they're going well. I mean, but no one's going to turn up to watch the Wallabies get beaten by New Zealand 50 nil nope. at the MCG or <laughs> even mm-hmm. any of the venues in uh, rugby strongholds in Brisbane and, and Sydney. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to stomach being beaten by New Zealand, isn't it? <laughs> Hey, a couple of other. Speaking of New Zealand, the uh, the cr- yeah. the cricket uh, starts this Thursday. The test, yeah, it's a test. But uh, we're having um, just said that being about being hard to stomach being beaten by New Zealand. New Zealanders find it equally hard to stomach being beaten by Australia. But that's what they've just had to digest after the T Twenty series. Australia won it three nil and won it easily. Um, ever since uh, my great mate Bill O'Reilly clean bowled. Charles Gordon Rowe with his leg spinners back in 1946. The, the um, New Zealanders have, tr- have had trouble with leg spin and Adam Zampa certainly made life difficult for them in the T20 series. He's not playing in the test though. Uh, and an interesting development um, in the last uh, few hours, uh, the New Zealand bodyline bowler, we call him that, Neil Wagner, he used to just bowl bouncer after bouncer after bouncer. He's announced he's retiring and he won't play in, in the test series. <laughs> and he then took part in a bit of a ceremony and promptly bowled a bouncer at the New Zealand Prime Minister. And thankfully for the New Zealand Prime Minister, he's a, he's a better cricketer than some of uh, Australia's former Australian mm. uh, former Prime Ministers. Uh, you might remember that footage. I think it was from Afghanistan. John Howard couldn't even land them on the pitch That's when right. he had a trundle for the cameras. And, of course, Bob Hawke, he got that nasty cut over the eye playing in a, in a match uh, in his time at the Lodge as well. But uh, he wasn't a bad cricketer, Bob Hawke. He was, in fact, a 12th man for Oxford University in a first-class game when he was uh, at that mm. university. So, But, uh, yeah, look, um, New Zealand, uh, test-wise, uh, they've got a long way to come back if their T20 form was anything to go for because they had Australia on the ropes a couple of times, dropped catches and um, certainly didn't... Uh, I mean, New Zealand cricket is a bit of a miracle. I mean, most of the kids in <laughs> New Zealand want to play rugby union, want to play for the All Blacks, mm. so... The talent that's left over goes to cricket, but um, through good administration and, and wise uh, talent identification, they've well they've uh, played in finals, uh, World Cup finals, and Test cricket uh, match finals and things like that. So they sure. build it up, but it's, it might have slipped back a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see how they go against Australia in these two tests. Indeed, Warwick Hadfield's with us. Um, just finally, Warwick, the AFL um, the concussion issues continue to be a big issue. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we had Angus Brayshaw uh, retiring prematurely. Last week after the knock to mm. his noggin uh, in a final against Collingwood. And uh, look, it's as much... I mean, the lawyers and the medical people are lining up in equal measure on this one. And it also comes down... The AFL has this thing about the look. <laughs> it really mm. doesn't like... If something doesn't look good, uh, they don't like it. Uh, and, and concussion doesn't look good at the moment because it's, uh, families say, well, I'm not having my child play that particular sport if uh, they, their brain's going to be addled. And of course, the latest incident was um, Sam Powell Pepper from Port Adelaide, who uh, bumped Matthew Keane. I'm looking for the mm. headline that says Powell Pepper assault uh, gets suspension. But uh, <laughs> look, it, 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 he's gone straight to the AFL tribunal and that uh, bespeaks a long suspension. I would think the word is, uh, they, I mean, of course, these things are supposed to be supposed to be separation of uh, powers between the AFL and the tribunal. But uh, I can tell you it doesn't work like that. And I would think the word has come down to the tribunal that uh, Sam Powell Pepper might just uh, have a, a short break. He'll have a belated start to the season because sure. even though this was a simulation match, a match simulation, as they call them, we used to call them practice games, but they've got a fancy name for them now. And uh, that he, if he's is suspended, and it seems likely he will be, it'll be served during the, the home and away season, which starts on March the 7th, mm. I think. I think Indeed. Right. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Who do you barrack for? <laughs>
Swannies, of course, yes. Sw- oh, so, oh, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> now, now, they're claiming today they have more members than Collingwood, and this has caused, um, oh, people in... Uh, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the word was uh, Sydney has more fans than Collingwood, and uh, a, a Melbourne friend of mine said, yeah, that's because of the humidity. Oh, uh, well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. The ancient rivalry. We are set, we are set, for, a big, we are set for a big year. You watch. All right, All Warwick. Right, I'm watching. Uh, you've got the great, you've got wonderful coach, my friend John Longmire, who is uh, a superb human being and he's really done a great exactly job with the right. Swans. He's a New South Wales born boy, of course, from the Riverina. That's right. The wash up will continue next week. Warwick, good to talk. Good on you. Thanks. Good on you, Philip. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.